We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Um, all right. I have a freshly shaven head, which always makes me feel a bit weird, like... Uh, the, that guy from Of Mice and Men, whose name I forget. Lenny? Uh, Lenny, yes, I feel a bit like Lenny right now. Okay, don't but, pet any uh, rabbits. I'll try not to. <laughs> we uh, have a good show this week. We are going spotlight free, because there was yeah, some it, contention. Yeah, it, it's a good show this week, as opposed to that pabulum we usually throw out. Um <laughs> Yeah, there's we honestly if, if we could have agreed on anything, we might have had a spotlight this week, but we're all uh I don't know, there's there's no peace in the House of Televerse this week. No, not not really. Uh but let's I want to mention some uh comments and tweets we got from you guys this week. I talked to a bunch of people about 30 the ESPN 30 for 30 series, Eric Shannon, Josh Bondo and Ty as well as I'm sure I missed a couple others. Um, got some nice near wolf talk with, uh, Stephanie and Monty and a uh, little Dr. Who in there too with Steph. So that was fun as, uh, as well as, uh, alphas and breaking bad with Ken Chicago code with Matt and Josh. Speaking of Chicago code, we'll be talking with the Pines and Gupta at the end of the show. That's our DVD shelf this week. And that was a lot of fun. Um, I would like to note that there was more talk in, in the tweet this week about me being correct, which means something is something is wrong <laughs> yeah you are getting a, a nice strong uh, listener backing this week but also i heard uh, some rumblings about a certain masterpiece cinema appearance yeah i was uh it was i guess that's not actually up yet i don't i have no time to keep track of what's up when but we recorded a princess mononoke episode this past weekend and uh there was there was a little bit of uh Spoiler alert! There's a little bit of Televerse discussion at the end. If you uh, if you can make it through like 70 minutes of uh, myself and Josh and Mike talking about Princess Mononoke, um, so yeah, do check that out. I, I assume that'll be up on Sunday. Uh, Saturday, it should be usually. Saturday, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, this weekend. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. It should be fun. Um, and then I talked a little horror TV with Blaine for something that's going to be coming up here later uh, in in the show. Like in about a month or two, we're going to do some horror. But uh, yeah, let's see. No new iTunes ratings or reviews this week. So hopefully we'll get uh, something next week. But uh, let's see. We have a couple things we wanted to mention for Sound on Sight. We have, uh, first of all, we have, of course, our weekly TV, rev TV reviews going up. I personally do Louie and Breaking Bad, although I should mention my Breaking Bad post this week is later than usual, for which I apologize. This is what happens when you work nights. Really, really late nights. And uh, what else? Uh, let's see. We've got Grim reviews. We've got Alphas. We have a new reviewer, Matt, doing Grim, And Dan Dan's doing Alphas. DePine's doing Newsroom and Awkward. 
And uh, then it, we're going to have some new ones coming up in the fall or returning ones. Dan's going to do Survivor and Amazing Race for us. Kath is going to do Boardwalk Empire. We got Defiant doing Last Resort, Supernatural, Nikita. I'm going to do uh, Doctor Who when it starts up really soon. Yay. As well as Vampire mm-hmm. Diaries and Fringe. And then we're going to have somebody covering Homeland. Not quite sure who yes. yet, but uh, lots of good stuff. Now, if your favorite show wasn't listed... And you want to be reading reviews. Perhaps you want to be writing reviews. Uh, and specifically on that note, I didn't realize so many people had watched 30 for 30 last year. So that's starting up again in October, mm-hmm. people. So if somebody wants to cover that, that we would love that. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if, if you uh, didn't hear your favorite show mentioned, you want to cover it, drop us a line and we'll see if we can work something out. Absolutely. Right. The other thing that bears mentioning, as mentioned, I think, last week also, um, we could really use your money. <laughs> There's, uh, we have uh, our, our hosting situation, we, we think, is, is going to be okay for the next while, but uh, we, could, we could still use some help for the, uh, for the future if we have any more uh, giant hiccups. And also, uh, we could use some help for uh, TIFF. I'm covered for TIFF because I have a press pass, but uh, our other writers don't. And trust me, you don't only want me covering TIFF because this thing is too damn huge. So uh, anyway, there's there's a PayPal button on the front of the site. We have, uh, you know, we have dozens and dozens of writers and we have a bunch of podcast hosts, producers, editors, people from all over the world. And nobody, none of us gets paid. In fact, if anything, the the site just costs us money. Uh, you know, we only do this because we enjoy it. And uh, so Anything you can, you can, you know, trickle in if you enjoy the show or anything on the site on a weekly basis. Consider sending us, you know, (laughs) $70,000. I think that's not enough to, I don't think that's too much to ask. I I was going to go with five bucks, but you know, that, that works too. If you have an extra spare 70K. Let's let's just, um, let's compromise and say 35,250. Okay. Split the diff. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's get into our weekend TV though, because uh, we do have a bunch of shows to cover, and we're yes. gonna kick it off with Wednesday and So You Think You Can Dance, which was back after a couple weeks off for the Olympics. So I was very happy to have uh, have, have my reality dancing competition show that I watched back on. Um, this week they eliminated four people, so they took it down from uh, top fourteen to uh, top ten. Um, and the the theme behind the week was that it was. All different routines that had been choreographed by Mia Michaels uh, from the run of the show, and so then each team of dancers was uh, or couple was assi- was assigned a dance that somebody else had already done. So it was a challenging and somewhat hit and miss episode in that they they picked the best and most memorable dance uh, or choreography and dance sequences that have been on the show before. So for pretty much all of the uh, the the poor dancers they weren't able to do better than the people that, that the pieces were choreographed for. Um, and so several of them didn't really work that well. And it's kind of hard to blame the dancers for that. It just seems like a flawed premise, but a few groups did do really well. Um, and so the, the, uh, the ballroom ladies continue to be my favorites um, from, from the women's side of things. And then I also think, the first couple did a did a good job as well. So it was the first, and then the last two were the best. Um, and some good people were eliminated. Some less good people were finally let, uh, cut loose. But uh, it was a, it was a fun week, and I look forward to seeing what happens when we get into the top ten because we're we're quickly getting to the place in the show where 
everybody is just really good and nobody is out of their depth anymore. So uh, I'm enjoying it. And uh, yeah, I, I think uh, you should maybe check in for one of these later episodes. What do you think? Uh, maybe. Maybe. The beginning of the week is uh, is so insane mm-hmm. uh, as it is just because even Sunday alone is so packed that I, I rarely have time for just even like I, I love alphas. But the fact that it's sticking itself on Monday has just been the bane of my existence. So we'll, we'll we'll see. Next, we have Futurama and Near Death Wish. What did you think of this one? Uh, I like this one. I, I always like when they do. Um, I mean, first of all, it's a Professor Farnsworth episode, which is always a good time or tends to be a good time. And also, it's a. It's always nice when they do an episode that's a little bit more, um, a little more sentimental and manages to get away with it. Like, which lately usually means that they're not relying too much on the Fry Lila thing, which doesn't really work for them anymore mm-hmm. um but yeah it, it, it was quite i i think it's worth noting it was reminiscent of a, of a couple of old simpsons plot lines um it put more so than usual but um i don't know i thought it had some some really great stuff and one of the best laughs i had all week was uh leela's little rant about the matrix <laughs> which yeah that that was just golden yeah that was uh yeah definitely entertaining um it was a good episode and it's was better than some of the other ones in this stretch, I think, have been. It was more cohesive, and uh, while perhaps it wasn't as funny as I would have liked, the overall quality of the episode was up, I would say, from the past few weeks. So I'll take it not being as funny if it means that it has more of a through line and a point, and I, it's, you know, it, it's, it feels like less of mm-hmm. a just sort of forgettable half hour. And I wouldn't say this was forgettable. And a whole lot of friends worth waving his junk around, which can never be, can never be an <laughs> yeah. issue. Absolutely. Um, next, we have Children's Hospital and Staff Dance. We were a little lukewarm last week. What did you think of this one? Well, okay. This one featured uh, an incredible guest appearance by Madonna, <laughs> which uh, was one of the highlights of my week. It featured at least two time signature gags. Yeah, which yeah. uh which I wasn't expecting so good for that and I love actually I think my favorite thing about this episode was was quote Madonna saying launch into a 6-8 blues riff and then we got something that was neither oh yeah of those things it's a straight four yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um an obscure gag but I enjoyed it um you know not every bit worked uh Megan Mullally and the rapture was just a you know a, a comic aside that didn't go anywhere Chet and the surgery was you know just was not great but the rest of it i th- I, th- I thought was uh an improvement over last week plus uh, i happened to watch this right after watching bunheads and it was a great pairing yeah the uh the ken marino uh subplot i thought w- was pretty entertaining and then the, just the payoff of them having hired uh, dance doubles was uh was the best way to go for that so that was a lot of fun glad i'm not the only one who enjoyed the the ridiculous time signature jokes um, let's uh, let's move on though to NTSF SDSUV. This is another one that we weren't as uh, as big on last week. I enjoyed this one, and not just because it had Alan Tudyk. Uh, what did you think? Oh, this was the real bicycle thief, by the way, which is a great title. Yeah. Um. So, was everyone in this episode? Uh, I, I mean, think so. Besides the regular cast, which is already pretty stacked, we had Alan Tudyk. Jake Johnson, Damon Wayans Jr., Brie Larson from Scott Pilgrim for some reason, mm-hmm. um, Martin Starr, Rebecca Romaine, uh, 
Rebecca, oh yeah, I, I, I mean, she's not a big deal to me, but yeah, sure, Rebecca Romaine. Just the not? fact that every bit character <laughs> was somebody that you knew. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the I, yeah, it was definitely better than last week. Um, I loved the reveal of everyone being an undercover cop of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of hoping they'd have Alan Tudyk be undercover also at the end, but uh, <laughs> that that was more of a children's hospital twist, I guess. Um. Because as I think we've acknowledged, um, Children's Hospital is just like, I, I feel like it's a couple degrees more insane and surreal than NTSF is. But um, but I, I did definitely enjoy this better than last week. I, I love that the, the, the reveal that the virtual reality game they were playing was essentially, you know, something you would find on the Adult Swim website. <laughs> and probably is on the Adult Swim website. This kind of looked like um, Paperboy. <laughs> yeah, actually looked a lot like Paperboy. Good call. Yeah, whenever you get Alan Tudyk and people like that to just come in and do funny accents, basically I'm on board. I'm more or less seven years old. Even just like the the detail of the the VR glasses that they're using, like I think I I enjoyed this one quite a bit more than mm-hmm. than Children's Hospital this week. So, uh, yeah, just the the timing was great, and you know if they want to do ridiculous storylines like this in the future, I will definitely mm-hmm. be on board. I, I I also dug the uh, opening intertitle yeah, explaining that this was that this was going to be a faithful remake of uh, of Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. <laughs> oh, I love Oscar Wilde. Good time. Let's move on to awkward and time after time. Uh, I would say, sir, that you jumped ship at the appropriate time because this was main triangle heavy, and when I say heavy, I mean. The, pretty much the entire thing was about uh, Jenna and Jake and Maddie. And I'm a little disappointed in where they went with it in having Jake break up with Jenna. And then uh, Maddie comes over. Maddie tries to find Jake to talk to him and isn't able to. So he comes over and talks to Jenna, is trying to cheer her up a little bit. And they end up making out. And, J- of course, Jake ends up seeing it because he's gone to he's realized he was an idiot for breaking up with jenna and so then of course he oversees you look you look like you're just uh eye rolly and you didn't even watch it (laughs) i'm just comatose with boredom just hearing you describe it yeah so for those who have been enjoying the love triangle part of it i'm sure they were happy i think it was well done for all of that and i am i i don't not that impressed with Jake, I gotta be honest, but the, the acting from both Jenna and Maddie, and I apologize for not knowing the actors' names, I thought was, was strong, and uh, they, they, they did well with what they were given. But this is not the show right now that you like, that awkward <laughs> can be. So yeah. uh, we'll, I'll let you know if it get, backs away from that. In if the we ever get to just like snarky teenage goodness with, that yeah. isn't too angsty and isn't, isn't too triangle-heavy, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. But let's move uh, right on to Wilfred and service. Uh, well, I think I think we agreed that last week was sort of a watershed for Wilfred. Uh, this week was sort of a breather after that. It, and it was quite literal about it in that sense. I mean, it, it, it's, it takes place weeks removed from the episode we just saw. And it's mostly just it, it mostly dealing with a, you know, a different space with, and, and also a different set of characters in terms of um, Ryan dealing with his sister and his mother, who I believe we also saw last season. She's played by uh, Mary Steenbergen, who is awesome. And uh, here she gets to be kooky, but not not excessively so, uh, which I, I thought they had a nice balance with her. Uh, it, it wasn't the funniest episode. I, it's, I, I, it's sort, of like, sort of like with uh, Futurama, it wasn't the funniest episode, but it, it was kind of nice to see them do an episode that was heavy on sweetness and not uh 
as opposed to doomy portent. Although, of course, there was a whole lot of, you know, uh, Wilford digging up gory bits <laughs> gags. So, so I guess I guess it kind of got to have its cake and eat it, too. And also some other things to eat. Yeah, the um, the Wilfred eating stuff, uh, I I thought it was kind of funny the first time. I was like, oh, okay, you know, that, that's entertaining. But it, it didn't, the recurring bit didn't really By the time it got to Placenta, it had, worn, it had worn off on you? By the time it got to Dead Mittens, and naming your cat Mittens just so that you can talk about Mittens Kittens is amazing. So I, definitely this episode had some good humor for me. Uh, I, I agree that they did a good job of balancing the mother character so that she is clearly someone who should be in some sort of care facility that she is not able to be by herself. Um, but that she isn't just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs or isn't just supposed to be funny. I thought right. they did a, it, it thought it seemed, I mean, I haven't, I don't have much experience with, uh, with that sort of a you know relationship or anything, but it, it did seem realistic which I thought was good. Um, I, I have to say I love Stephen Weber's exit. Oh, yeah. Like, you could, you know, as soon as he started saying you instead of we, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is going to be... But, but it was a good speech I, I, to go out I, on, I, I think. thought, honestly, he was going to give that inspirational speech and then turn around and say, and that means you're all fired. Uh, but then they <laughs> went a different way with it, which I was quite happy about. Yeah. No, that, that was pretty good. Um, I just, I didn't laugh at a lot of the, the jokes. I felt like the Wilfred humor tended to slow down some of the scenes, especially like, like I was watching with my sister and my dad and my sister loved the whole Wif Wilfred and his paw gag that was in the beginning of the episode. Um, but for me, it felt like the other character should have been talking over it. It felt like it was really slowing down the pace of the scene. Um, mm -hmm. so it wasn't as, again, it wasn't like with Futurama, it wasn't as successful for me in its humor, but in its heart, it really was. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Yeah, and next we have Louis, Dad, which right. uh, you liked more than I did. Yeah, again. There's, a, there's a schism. Mommy and Daddy are fighting again. <laughs> uh, I would have been perfectly happy to spotlight this episode of Louis, but no, someone had to go and disagree, which is fine. You know, variety is the spice of life, and by variety, I mean people being wrong. Um I thought this was awesome. Uh, it, it in a way, even though it was following one story, it felt like it was structured a lot like last week's to me in terms of having a lot of small pieces that, uh, in this case, sort of more cohesively form a whole. I think the difference though is that each of those pieces worked for me. From the uh, you know the opening scene with the daughter playing violin, which was you know both adorable and hilarious all at once, and um, I would say the weakest bit of the episode was probably the sort of Best Buy segment, um, but uh, but I still laughed, so I can't really complain too much. I I loved the the uh, I loved Louis seeing security camera footage Louis, who is clearly yeah. some other guy. Uh, <laughs> that that was fantastic, um, and and the the guys just chuckling at the at the video was also was also great. And also what I would have done, because um, I, I don't know, personally, I was actually more on, on the side of the service employees in that sense, in, in, in that uh, in that sequence. But, you know, that's because I've been working crap jobs, jobs for a long time. Uh, as But, you know, as for the meat of the episode with F. Murray Abraham and sort of um, and Louis sort of wanting to or feeling like he has to confront his father. I just love the way the I love the way the atmosphere mounted. And by the end of the episode, it's just so filled with dread, and there's all these instances of bizarre magic realism, and everything is just everything is going wrong. So that by the end, he's you know closing his car door totally normally, but the window explodes anyway, 
and um, just all, all those details and uh, going with the score. I thought it was uh, unusually cinematic and uh, and just awesome to watch. Um, also, weird two second cameo from Maria Thayer, which I won't, which I don't quite understand, but all right. Uh, but yeah, but I'll for some it. reason, but for some reason, this bounty of goodness wasn't good enough for you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, every time we talk about Louis, an episode that it doesn't work as well is an episode that doesn't work as well of Louis, which means that the the baseline, the baseline expectations I have for this show are so much higher than I have for pretty much any of the show right now. Um, and I think they did. I think it was a funny episode. I, I loved that opening. It was hilarious. Perhaps the most entertaining bit for me was when I showed it to my parents and they just went, and? Because they have a lot of experience of children playing violin uh, when they're supposed to be doing other things or in our case, more doing our homework when we're supposed to be practicing, but you know, whatever. Um, so I, I thought that was hilarious and just played wonderfully by both of them. Um, and I enjoyed a lot of the sequences, the individual pieces, I think. Um, the Best Buy bit worked. I enjoyed seeing the poker game again. I thought that was uh, that was well done. And the doctor's office was funny. And all the, the GPS yelling at uh, <laughs> Louis was pretty great. I think it just started um, about, about halfway through the episode, two-thirds of the way through the episode. It became clear that, that we weren't going to actually see the dad or meet the dad because the show would have wanted more time for that interaction. So the longer it took to get to him meeting the dad, um, the more, as much as I was enjoying the ride and as much as I enjoyed the the altercation between Louie and the driver behind him, uh, which was another really nice uh, sequence, uh, the, the more it felt disingenuous sort of. Uh, and as soon as he... You know, I felt you knew you weren't going to see him, so he was either going to get to the door and end the episode, and it was going to be all about him getting there, or he was going to run away. And so, as soon as he ran away, it was, you know, I I lost interest. It wasn't interesting anymore. Ooh. So I I would have liked more of his GPS yelling at him and Maria Thayer yelling at him and all of the you know that other interesting thing and him uh, vomiting on things. And him vomiting on things, exactly. That, that's that's you know that's quality comedy right there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not if, even kidding. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if it was this episode or not, but I remember reading about uh, sort of him making the, the show, and I, I believe this this was probably the episode that he just got. You know, he would just run around a lot and then get someone to punch him in the stomach. So I think some of that was real. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh man, I, I think to to just sort of repeat myself i do think that i like the show better when there is that framework of the stand-up comedy and i think we had a taste of that in seeing louis interact with um his buddies at the poker game but the reason i think i enjoy that is it gives us a baseline of of truth you know of of that for that character of what he's thinking and where he's coming from and and what he's interested in and i think that helps sort of ground some of the more fanciful episodes mm-hmm. I, I i see what you're saying i th- I think what he's trying out now and i think it works some of the, I th- for me this episode worked and the last episode didn't and i think the last one really could have used some of that context that the uh the stand-up bits give mm-hmm. uh, i think he's trying to find ways to tell his stories without giving you that sort of um audience crutch basically yeah i mean like because yeah. I, I know there were a couple episodes earlier in the season where 
actually the stand-up bits were the only things that didn't work for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, from what I understand, also, this is the first season he's gone into production and not had um, a reserve of stand-up material to draw on. So I, I don't okay. think I'm not sure how much of it is a deliberate decision and how much of it is just a product of, you know, he's doing a lot of stuff <laughs> and it was he was bound to, you know, uh, run out of material like that to just have around. And I think he's working with what he's got. Um, but, you know, I'm choosing to read this other creative side into it as well. Um, but I, I, I'm I'm always the great thing about Louis is that it's always a show in flux. It's always changing and it's always evolving. Now, I mean, now the show, it doesn't have an intro anymore. <laughs> apparently it's got you know critics it's got credits overlaid on whatever the show opens with uh which worked which was nice last week and was great this week so i have no issue with that though um, it has been opening over music each time yes yeah that's true well the uh, each yeah the both times the both times yeah. two times um, but yeah i mean the, the the show's always always changing there's absolutely no reason to think that we're not going to get the stand-up back next week or three seasons from now who knows i mean we had a poker game this week and the last poker game we saw was like one of the first four episodes i think Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's throwing in all kinds of weird uh nods to continuity that i would have never guessed he would do Um, and i do i do want to specify or make sure i say that i am 100 percent for for louis experimenting and playing with form and trying different things and he doesn't want to use stand-up for right now he shouldn't do that while I may prefer that structure some some of the times, I more than anything I enjoy watching him get get to express himself creatively and uh, as as a writer, as a performer, um, as a director, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, so that's by far the the most significant thing. So yes, maybe I would like some some stand up, especially in an episode like this or an episode last week. This episode was far more successful than last week, I would say, mm-hmm. um, but. Just because I think it would be nice to have stand-up doesn't mean I think the show should change. Right. If that uh, makes sense. <laughs> the last thing I'll mention is uh, I, I have noticed that since the show has ditched the stand-up, or, or at least appears to be doing that for now, I've noticed that it means that we just get a lot less of Louis in any form expressing himself verbally. So mm-hmm. uh, now a lot more of the show relies on his nonverbal actions and reactions to things, his his uh, you know his facial gestures. Or it depends on other characters expressing themselves as we, I mean, the um, the second Liz episode featured almost no, none of him talking, uh, which is also an interesting development. Um, but I, it, I think that's the thing that I'm kind of missing is is his uh, his uh, verbal contributions to episodes and his uh, his witticisms and things like that, which more which come through more in a more standard way in his stand-up than in in his character interactions because since he's kind of usually in a place of being meek or being put down or dealing with his uh, with his kids or whatever so um hopefully we get some more of that as well but but i'll but yeah i'm 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 like you in the sense of i'm i'll i'll take this wherever he's going (laughs) do we want to say anything about f murray abraham oh (laughs) i love that scene uh i actually have one very specific thing to say about that which is I remember reading again in, in an interview, he said he wasn't all that happy with the first scene that he gave uh, F. Murray Abraham. He thought it was all right, uh, but he felt like he could have done more to specifically exploit the fact that he had F. Murray Abraham on his TV show, which uh, when I thought about it, it was like, yeah, that's kind of true. It was kind of, you could have had anybody for that. So this time he, he wrote F. Murray Abraham a scene and in the word he used was um, he wanted to write for his voice. Um, but I actually like to take that in the sense of literally writing for that guy's voice. Like you really wanted to hear that 
authoritative, you know, sonorous voice saying deeply silly things. <laughs> and uh, on in, on that level, even just that level, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I it was a good scene. I think I'm the blasphemous one for, I think I actually laughed more at and enjoyed his first appearance a little more just because that situation was just so ridiculous uh but uh Mary abraham's great and he should be in more stuff and uh if they ever want to bring back uncle as or x sorry uncle x uncle excelsior uh, yes they they used one of my favorite words as as his (laughs) name for some reason yes um, let's move on though to bullet in the face which was also on thursday thursday and friday on ifc um this is a dark comedy or black comedy heavy heavy on the black uh because lots it's about a sociopath who uh gets a face transplant and i'm just gonna stop there because it's just too crazy to try to explain this uh this show right i I, but but we checked it out (laughs) yeah i I, after watching i think 10 minutes of the first episode um i went on twitter and described it as sin city meets bugs bunny uh which is which at least for the first uh, bit I think is about an accurate as as accurate a description as I can get um it was actually filmed in Montreal which um every once in a while I could spot something but it's so but the backgrounds and the designs are so computer animation heavy that it's sort of impossible to I mean it could be anywhere it's set in this vaguely dystopian present doesn't really seem like the future uh doesn't really seem like earth even um I don't know. It's it's a very strange show. I, I imagine um, IFC getting the dailies for this, and one of them must have must have committed suicide right right, right in the office. Like, and it's no surprise that uh, they aired all six episodes over two nights and then called it an event. I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you're never if they made if they commissioned more of this, I would be shocked. Um, but as for the show itself, I, I, I really, really, really loved the first episode, um, just when they're setting up the premise, uh, which just getting to know these characters in this universe, and especially the dialogue, which is hilarious, and um, and Max Williams is an amazing ham and just totally globs onto this character with, with uh, Panache. Um, and then for most of the rest of the episodes, it starts, it settles into this rhythm where it's sort of a bizarre police procedural where one of the cops just happens to also be like a mass murderer who wisecracks and enjoys killing people, um, which, you know, is a fantastic premise, but, um, but it does, it's sort of in a weird way, it does make the show settle down a little bit and be less super manic, which I wasn't as happy about. Uh, and, and it also sort of led to some uh, comic avenues that didn't work as well. Like, especially in, I think around the third and fourth episodes, there starts to be more, uh, are more like lol women jokes and you know some kind some like slightly iffy gay jokes and stuff like that which i wasn't so happy about but um i will say that in the last episode i think it recovers nicely and has a ridiculous cliffhanger which we'll (laughs) never ever get a resolution to just so you know it's just not gonna happen yeah i it was i I watched all of it actually i think in the same day because i started watching it at like eleven thirty or something Thursday night, and then finished it the next evening on Friday night. But it it uh, it's it was fun. It was cr- crazy, but different episodes really. Some were much more successful than others, just in that the pilot whizzes by, and all of a sudden, you know, I just kind of 
felt like I turned around and the uh, the pilot was over. And then some of the other ones felt a lot slower. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that there wasn't a million things, that there weren't a million things happening or and that there wasn't plenty of action in those other episodes. But the 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 pacing, I think, wasn't, at, like you said, it wasn't as manic as it was in the first um, plot, uh, first episode. And I think that has to do with the the show being by far its most successful when it's dealing with the character relationships and with the larger overall plot as opposed to these bizarre procedural case of the week mm-hmm. sort of situations. And so when you have Gunther, who is the main character, uh, dealing with his new face and with uh, the the co- police commissioner and his partner or with his girlfriend and the two crime bosses played by Eddie Izzard and Eric Roberts. Any of that stuff works really well, I think. But then when you add in these other things, it felt like they were treading water. Like they only had so much story to tell. And, and pretty much all of that happened in the first episode and the right, last. Yeah. Um, that that It's just, I can't emphasize enough how insane a pilot it is. I, I almost feel like they have, they're shows that have nothing to do with each other, but I almost feel like Ryan Murphy needs to watch the oh, bullet yeah. in the face uh, pilot as just an episode of an example of how you do a pilot that's insane but also awesome, as opposed to mm-hmm. insane and nonsensical and uh, hor- and just terrible. But uh, there's just so much that's strange about the show. I, th- I think the reason the pilot is my favorite episode is because you watch the pilot and you and you still you know what the show's about, but you have no idea what kind of a show it's going to be like. What is an average mm-hmm. episode of Bullet in the Face going to be like? And I, I think I personally, I was disappointed to discover that it wasn't just going to be like this big s- serial story all the time that was just going to have an insane cliffhanger every week, which I think would have been ideal. Um, but there's just uh, everything from the fact that uh, Max Williams, who's a Canadian actor, I, I don't remember seeing before, um, is playing this German guy with a ridiculous accent. Uh, and then his love interest is a German actress wearing a French accent. <laughs> Um, all right. And then, you know, you've got Eddie Izzard scenes, which, you know, some of them are really funny. Some of them are just kind of there and almost none of them have any connection to anything else that's going on in the show. (laughs) I mean, he, he only interacts with, you know, he interacts with Kate Kelton and that's it. Like, it kind of seems like they shot all his scenes in one day. Yeah. Uh, which is no, no, not a disservice to the show or is, or it just seems like that's what, that's what they had time for. There are these, some scenes with Eddie is that just feel like, uh, they let him go oh, and man. they just sort of recorded whatever he, he said. There, there are certain quotes that just feel taken directly out of some of his stand up. I enjoy Eddie Izzard. I, I liked him. I like his stand up a lot and I liked him on the riches and whenever he kind of pops up, I, I'm always interested but I do feel like this would have benefited from tighter editing on uh, of either his scenes or just re- reining him in just a little bit. I felt like they're a little too over reliant um, on him, and, and and so I think even just a little bit more judicious use of his uh, voice and his uh, comic rhythms would have benefited the show. As and then they should have taken that time and given it to Eric Roberts because I feel like he's barely in this. I, I almost feel the opposite way. I feel like Eric Roberts is his both his performance and his character seem kind of indifferent, uh, especially mm-hmm. compared to just how insane the rest of the show is. And I almost feel like they you could write out the Eric Roberts character and allocate all those resources to Eddie Izzard, 
who it just felt to me was was better suited to this, you know, very flamboyant, over the top universe. He has a glee to him that is uh, that is very fitting. Yeah, whereas Roberts is literally like he's just he's like reclined in his boss man chair and just giving out orders and occasionally shooting people. Uh, he seemed a lot more like a standard mob sh- mob series villain with you know a, who cracks a few more jokes. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think he was the biggest disappointment for me. But I, I have to spotlight before we uh, before we move on. I, I have to I have to mention Neil Napier who plays uh, Gunther's partner who. It, especially in the first couple episodes, he was cracking me up so damn much. He is so good in this. Yeah. He, I mean, the character kind of feel like at a certain point um, shifts slightly, uh, the the performance or the writing for him. But I feel like especially in those first episodes, he just, I feel like he just has the, the, the Snoopy music uh, like playing over everything he does. <laughs> and every time you see him, he just... He, he looks just, like he's always on the brink of tears. and Walking slowly down the street, kicking a can, you know. <laughs> but he also... He, but the the it's the great combination is he he always he's such a sad sack but he he but his voice he sounds like uh, Jackie Earl Haley in, in mm-hmm. Watchmen like yeah. super gruff but also just really really sad <laughs> yeah so so basically I think I think this is a show or a six episode event or whatever you want to call it yeah it's it's three it's <laughs> what it's two hours of your time probably when you take the commercials out maybe two and a half if any of this sounds interesting to you check it out. I think it's an interesting show, if nothing else. You'll know within yes. the first few minutes if you that... should really, really turn it off. Yeah, so somebody asked me on Twitter if it was any good, and I, and I said, seriously, you'll know in 10 seconds <laughs> if you want to keep watching yeah, it or not. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, I'll go for an interesting, flawed, uh, you know, one series thing over the predictable choice. Yeah, and original. Like, it's very, it's certainly very original. Um, I'll, you'll, you've got to <laughs> give it that. From one cop show to a slightly different cop show, uh, after uh, Bolt in the Face, we had Copper, which premiered Sunday. It's the first original uh, series from BBC America. It's set in New York, uh, New York City, that is the Five Points District, and it's right after the Civil War. So it's like a Gangs of New York kind of time period sort of aesthetic uh, you didn't actually get to this one this week, as I recall. Uh, that is correct. But uh, I did. I wasn't particularly impressed with it. I got to be honest. The the a lot of the dialogue isn't that great, um, and it's not that it's just bad writing or anything like that. I don't want to be too critical. It's just it's overly piloty writing, where every mm-hmm. time you meet a, char- a new character, they find a way to work into the conversation how they're related to the main guy. This, things like that uh, that just felt really awkward and uh, and uh, heavy-handed. The the look of the show I think is pretty good as far as the costumes and uh, and the set design and all of that. Al- Alyssa Rosenberg did a great uh, piece this past week talking about Copper and and relating it to other period shows and how they have a, a prostitution problem where all of the Usually on, on these kinds of shows, all of the main female characters, except for maybe one, uh, tend to be prostitutes, as if that's the only sort of independent female character you can have on a, a period show. And and uh, I think that 
if I think that's definitely worth looking up if you're interested, because uh, I think she makes an excellent point. I was sort of uh, disappointed by that uh, as well. The fact that it, again, it looks like so much of a lot of the show is going to be set in, in whorehouses and brothels and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Deadwood gets great mileage out of it, but the trouble is I've seen that already and it was Deadwood right. and it was well, and amazing. Also D- Deadwood uh, has pretty adequate justification for, you know, it's the yes. fact that it's a frontier town and 99% not many... of women in frontier towns were prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. So, so and the, the fact that they get in any non-prostitute women is requires some serious narrative justification in that case. Yeah. Uh, and then the final thing I'll mention as a part of what kept me out of this was that the accents are kind of terrible in that they go in and out a lot through the through the episodes, and they have a somewhat international cast, and you know they're doing very specific uh, accents. Most of them, as far as uh, regionally specific, there are several characters who are immigrants. The main character is an uh, an Irish immigrant, and his accent really goes back and forth. Like it's, at times, it sounds like he has no accent. He has just the generic Midwestern or whatever American sort of thing. And then at, at times he has uh, almost leprechaun sort of uh, accent. So that was pretty distracting to me. And if I had been more invested in the characters and in the narrative uh, drive of the pilot, of this pilot that is, then I probably wouldn't have been bothered by it. But I wasn't, so that extra element really kept me out of it. Right now, I don't think I'm going to continue with Copper, but it's one that I think they're, they do have some potential there. So maybe if I hear it gets better, I'll come back to it and catch up. Um, but yeah, I was definitely a little disappointed in Copper. Yeah. But let's move on to the newsroom and the Blackout Part 2 mock debate. You you were unfortunately surprised to find that the Blackout Part 1 was better than you expected. Right. What yes. did you think of part two? Uh, this was right back on form. This sucked donkey balls. This was so <laughs> bad. There was so little about this episode that was good. First of all, um, it, it hadn't occurred to me until we actually got to see it happen, but the whole mock debate thing was ridiculous. The fact that they spent months, months preparing for something that if, if any of them had thought reasonably about it, they knew they were never going to get away with is hilarious to me just the the sheer levels of high-mindedness about the whole thing was hilarious to me like the way they're all like oh if we're gonna do this we're gonna change the face of debating in this country we're gonna raise the political discourse like okay that's not how it works (laughs) do you do you really think you know one network changes its debate format for one set of debates and then you you like america is just gonna be a they're gonna clamor for more yeah, just no. People just are, anyway. That's that's just wrong. Well, and that's aside from the fact that this is a show set in our immediate past, and we know it didn't happen. We know there was right. no change. You know, so unless they were going to branch off into a fan, you know, an even more fantasy version, which meant they couldn't necessarily use the same news stories anymore, the real news stories anymore. Unless that was going to happen, which we all knew wasn't, then mm-hmm. everybody knew they weren't going to get the debate to start with. Uh, I, I will give the, the episode credit for one good moment, which happened really early on and the rest was terrible. I, I, I liked the, the conceit of uh, of uh, Mac getting really excited about a blackout and then having it stop. <laughs> Although the way they did it was really, was you know, a little too on the nose for me. Uh, but then immediately after that, it just nosedived into terribleness, it, inclu- especially with Mac, who's just become one of the worst characters on television. 
uh, and her very, again, like how many very public breakdowns have they given her now? Too many. Uh, that's, that's definitely true. But, oh, first of all, I do agree. I thought the, the timing of the power coming back and the delivery of Max reaction to that, I thought was really funny and, and worked well. I didn't have anywhere near as uh, big a problem with this one as you did. I didn't enjoy the the love triangle stuff with Maggie and Lisa Ugh. and Jim. They really need to God. stop on that. Uh, I'm hoping that that will end in this next season finale episode next week, but we'll see. Uh, so there's there's that. But aside from that, I thought uh, once again everything with with Will and Mac and Paul Schneider's character who i can't remember his name was was well handled and it's nice to actually finally see you know something come from that sort of horrible beginning of the season storyline i thought so, it, it was good so that, that, that we saw love the triangle again. works for you it works better and i think what has really helped is meeting the other guy and finding out that the other guy isn't some horrible person and that the other guy's like wait you were cheating on me uh, I thought that was a good way to play that. Um, and yes, I, don't, I didn't appreciate the, uh, the again, public breakdown for Mac we get this week that is fueled by that. But, and maybe this is giving the show too much credit. If I looked at this episode by itself without a his, knowing, you know, where how horribly they treated the Mac character early on, I, I think that her public freak out would have been wouldn't really bother me that much because it would feel like a culmination of a very long very stressful day but while i know we could easily talk newsroom for another five minutes i think we'd pretty much agree that there are other shows that are more worth their time so let's just move right on into political animals which had its season finale the sunday resignation day ah uh, you know this was actually kind of good um I, I was I was impressed with certain aspects of this episode. Uh, essentially, what what happens, and this, sorry for people who, for some reason, listen to reviews of political animals but don't watch it and don't want to be spoiled. But um, they they killed the president uh, this week. We we assume they didn't find a body, but it's pretty it's pretty clear. And um, sorry, Adrian Pazdar. And um, I think they really nailed um, just first of all that 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 sort of feel of of you know when you hear certain things you know where you were that moment and you know i think they ca they captured sort of the the fear and the confusion really nicely and uh, i also liked that the the beat of um of elaine just reflecting on how you know she, she thought the worst of him and then she sort of patched things up and and sort of just re sort of thinking, trying to trying to reflect honestly on her on her own feelings in a time when you know everyone you know when when people die, you know you must only speak the only you must only say nice things and you you um you know they're not allowed to have flaws for a little while, but um you know people sort of trying to deal with that while being honest with themselves. I th thought that stuff was all great. Um, I, I I like the idea of a show where Dylan Baker is the president. <laughs> Because he's just such a creep. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait till next season for that. But uh, I mean, other I, we didn't get much TJ, which is great, and he's um, you know him hanging out with Grandma is always nice. 
Uh, I don't know that it, again, it mostly, like last week, it mostly avoided the stuff that it doesn't do very well and uh, had some, managed to work in some nice beats. It was, uh, it was a pleasant finale. It was actually kind of affecting a little bit near the end, which I wasn't expecting. Didn't piss me off. So way to go, political animals. Maybe I'll watch you next season. We'll see. Next up, we have True Blood and Sunset, and this is the penultimate episode of the season. Uh, your first season with True Blood. What did you think? Man, they better, del- speaking of cliffhangers, they better del- deliver on this next week, because that was, because I remember I, I was lukewarm on li- on last week's pseudo cliffhanger, which was basically them telling us something we already knew, whereas this week ends with Russell Edgington having just eaten this ancient fairy uh, being able to see all the other fairies and launching in to go eat all of them, including Sookie, uh, which was awesome. The uh, The rest of the episode was uh, decent. Um, I think it, this was a big Sunday for transitional episodes, uh, which to me this was clearly uh, that, uh, a lead up to a big, hopefully what will be a big, awesome, bloody, uh, ridiculous finale. Um, I didn't really have any qualms with anything. Uh, Carrie Preston, I want to highlight in particular for for her uh, her appearance in this episode, which really cracked me up. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, mostly I was just like, can I see next week now? <laughs> yeah, that's usually, I feel like that's what happens by the end of a True Blood season. Uh, even if it loses its way in the middle, by the time you get to the last couple episodes, they have an end point. They know where they're going. And so things really kick into gear. And I would say that you know, seems pretty fitting here. I was a little uh, just not disappointed in the show, but... Uh, a little disappointed in what we knew was going to have to happen with Chris Bauer. Cause she's doing that. Andy's doing so well with Holly, you know, the pregnant fairy had to show back up and just wanted her to leave them alone to their, uh, to their pseudo happy family. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think, I think he should get a pass on this one. Yeah. Seriously. Right. Fairy. The, I mean, yeah, it, it, they practically, you know, it was. It didn't really seem like it was entirely consensual. Well, it's it's. Well, the other thing to remember with True, there was some magical goading. Well, the thing to remember with True Blood is that it happens in each season is such a reduced timeline. The he he hooked up with the fairy uh, last season, which was apparently a couple like a week ago. Unless no, it did, did it happen no, this season no, it too. Happened, it happened like four or five episodes ago. Okay, well, it also happened last season, so that's why it was twice. <laughs> So I was thinking it was that time. Okay. But 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 still the season takes place over a very condensed period of time. See, I thought she meant twice on that evening. Yeah. But there was this the first time was last season. Okay. Now because yeah, it was a whole I unless I could be completely wrong if I'm wrong, let me know, listeners, but cuz cuz they brought up the fairy stuff last season at the very beginning of the season and then nothing and then then Andy and then nothing. And then this season, so the the right. fairy stuff has been really kind of scattered throughout. But um, anyways, uh, aside from that, I always enjoy Chris Bauer on the show. I think he's hilarious. Um, the thing for me is, okay, Al Seed was staking vamps left and right. We've seen many many characters stake vamps left and right. Why are the fairies so terrible at killing vampires? I just kind of get the impression from the, from this episode that they just really enjoy being wusses and and not getting involved until they absolutely have to. Russell obviously is a badass. He's thousands of years old. I get that. But 
in general, it seems like all their little glowy thing does is force push them away. Why don't they, you know, I don't know, stake them or cut off their head or anything? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask a fairy. I suppose. Other than that, I liked Jessica this week. It's, uh, uh, of course, Pam uh, Pam and Tara are fun. And then we get uh, Eric escaping just in time to have to go back and, and bash some skulls to save Pam. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, what about Luna and Sam? And what are you thinking about all that? Actually, very little happened there, didn't they? I mean, they turned back into mice and then back into people yeah, and now they're you, just stuck there. Do you still care? Because they've sort of been just giving us tiny drips and drabs of that storyline for the Honest, past several weeks. Honestly, I, I'm I'm very shallow, but my my biggest uh, my biggest involvement in that storyline is that that puppy is adorable. It's an adorable puppy. <laughs> it's so cute. That's very true. The, the, the kids the kids cute too, but the husk, <laughs> you know, but the dog is really really adorable. Like, don't change back into a human because they're eating all the humans. No, that's not why. You just because <laughs> this is really a cute dog. Uh, let's see what yeah. else. And I think. I think they, because they have these extraneous storylines, we get like one line from Lafayette this week. That's how much they've pared down the ensemble and the storylines. Um, uh, but I, I think they're benefiting from it. It was pretty much just Sookie and the fairies with Jason and then the Vampire mm-hmm. Authority. Any predictions for the finale? Uh, I predict that there's no way they're going to do justice to all this to all this ramping up there's just no way but we'll see i predict most of the new characters will die and who, most... who counts as a new character um nora salome all these vampire authority people um i i, I think they're gonna they have to kill russell edgington at this point because uh, if he's it just doesn't work he need, he they already didn't kill him once so they have two options they can k- kill him or they can have him kill every single other character yes, yes. Uh, but I also predict that we're not gonna lose any of our main characters because they don't do that but I do predict it'll be full of uh, action and fun so that's good all right yeah that's good enough for me then we have, we have our final Sunday show, Breaking Bad and Buyout. And Breaking Bad, this is its first week out of the spotlight for, for a while here. Uh, for you, I, I, you know, I, I'll get to my thoughts later, but for you, why was this not a spotlight-worthy episode? Um, it, it was by no means a bad episode, but um, I feel like it was very, as with True Blood, a very, even more so, a very truly... Uh, obvious transitional episode we had to get from uh, you know point A to point B, and I'm not sure it happened as swiftly as it maybe should have. Uh, you know, we, basically from from the from the beginning to the end of the episode, we have to get from uh, Walt from the you know the business partnership between Walt, Mike, and uh, and Jesse is in peril to um, Walt finds a solution. Uh, to get there, I'm not really sure we needed. Walt is gonna get iced out and needs to needs to I, like I, I think they added conflicts that weren't really necessary. Uh, I mean, obviously, it seemed like they needed to find a way to shoehorn in, uh, a, you know, one of their typically awesome Walt solves his problems with science <laughs> uh, scenes, uh, which you know was great and also really distressing, uh, but it, it it felt a little like a sideshow to me. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from. Uh, I think that that Walt solves the problem of science thing was a scene was 
a, a good one. And it's been a while since we've had something like that. So that was nice. The dispatching of the body at the beginning and the bike and all of that. I think that was, uh, it was good that we spent the time on that this week. Um, that was actually, I think that my, my favorite part of the episode Yeah, was, it was, it was just, it was great to have that be so quiet and unadorned and, and methodical, but not in a gross or, or, um, undue way. Yeah. But I think the main thing for me is that while I enjoyed the the ride, obviously Breaking Bad is, is a great show and a less exciting or a less introspective uh, episode of Breaking Bad is still a great episode of television. Um, while, you know, there was plenty of good stuff going on, there wasn't any revelation for me. I feel like maybe for some people, the admission from Walt that the meth has all been about his ego and it's all goes back Surprise. to gray, gray matters that, you know, that's not a new thing. That's, you know, that's something that, that mm-hmm. has been I, several, I know I'm not definitely not the only one, but a segment of the viewers, uh, viewership has seen that as his, has his main motivation for seasons now. So, so that didn't really seem like a particular bombshell or, you know, it was a well-acted, well-written scene, but again, sort of, it felt like sort of time-filling this mm-hmm. this week. So while I enjoyed seeing Jesse in in that lovely dinner scene with the whites, <laughs> uh, as he just awkwardly so drinks painful. his water, <laughs> such a little kid in that scene. And I I actually thought that perhaps that was played a little too big, but it was hilarious. So I I'll, I'll give it to them. And that this episode desperately needed some humor. So yeah, absolutely. Um, Although actually, I think the funniest bit of the episode was uh, Saul and uh, and Mike talking to the DEA, and uh, Saul Saul uh, basically referring to Mike as a senior citizen, followed by Mike g- giving him the death stare, which was just <laughs> so so good. And I'll, and I think Saul must have must have really savored that uh, after you know what happened to him a few weeks ago with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there was definitely a lot of bits in the episode that felt like it, it, also the scene between Skylar and Marie where I, I don't know, I just I wanted her so bad just to tell her what was going on, even though it would be a horrible, horrible idea. Yeah, just Marie so that we could go some, Yeah, just so we could go somewhere with these characters. Yeah, because uh, otherwise it, it, it mean, it, it just felt like it was it was, you know, again, a well-written scene and a painful one to watch, but also. I, I'm I'm impatient for them to move a little bit quicker with uh, with wherever the hell this is all going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I have a feeling that you know we'll be getting there in the night. There's only two more episodes before our season break, so I'm I'm sure yeah, that they're going to leave. I'm on willing a high to point. bet. I'm willing to bet this is the last episode of the half season that we'll have any pacing issues with. Yeah, let's move on though to Monday and Grim the Kiss. This is the second part of the two part premiere. Um, or season premiere that is, and I think they've come back pretty well. I think they're doing a really good job with, with Nick and his mom. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastriano has has been a welcome addition to the show, and as disappointed as I am by the annoyingly obvious way they they seem to be going with Juliet, she has memory loss, so she doesn't remember who Nick is at all. Um, uh. Yeah, hopefully that will get resolved quickly. Uh, and then we'll move on from there. There was a lot of good stuff this week with Sasha Rose and uh, the captain, Captain Renard. Uh, we got our first glimpse of some of him. We know now that he is 
only part human and apparently he's mostly not human and uh, the little bit we see of his morph looks awesomely gross the the resolution to Juliet's condition I thought made sense and and worked well and uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing hopefully the the continuation of that as well as I think they need to resolve what's going on with the partner and it looks like that's what's going to happen next week. Uh, the one other thing I will mention, so while I am enjoying the the start of season two, and I think it's come back pretty well, and it's definitely enjoyable, the the new intro that they have for Grimm is terrible. I really don't. That's yeah, not good. It's not good at all. Uh, so so hopefully that will go away at some point in this season, but I kind of have a feeling it won't. Yeah, it reminds me of when NBC added a, added that intro to Prime Suspect. Like, why don't do that? Speaking of intros, I'm not a big fan of uh, Bunheads. Not a big fan of their intro, but their their credit. At least sequence, it's short. But it's short and uh, and features lots of dancing. And speaking of the finale and Nutcracker in Paradise, featured a lot of dancing. What did you think of this episode and its its function as a finale or summer finale? It is coming back, which we are happy to see. And then also, how how do you think the whole season so far has done? Um, I, it's. Bunhead is a really weird show if you really start to break down how it actually works. I mean, I don't know if Gilmore Girls was the same way, but in terms of, like, narrative approach and it's the way it handles supporting characters and even just the main characters in terms of trying to stay consistent with them, it's a really, really strange show. Uh, and some of this episode really, really worked, and some of it was just, like, they were just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, even the dancing, like, the, the opening... Um, Nutcracker boardroom thing was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite dance sequence since um, Sasha's solo dance in the third or fourth episode, which is still like my favorite thing the show has ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I would love for them to have, on average, like one spectacular sequence like that per episode. That would be amazing. Um, then the whole the actual Nutcracker uh, thing went on for quite a while and you know the mace thing was funny and then the gag just kept on going and going and going which was unfortunate the actual visual of her spraying everyone was amazing (laughs) uh and again a fantastic moment um Sutton Foster's solo at the end was awesome also um in her sort of fantasy sequence with Alan Ruck's very thankless like seven second appearance and another guy who needs regular work Jesus um then the then the end the, the end scene was really weird. Um the the whole thing with Fanny being afraid to talk to to a twelve year old seemed out of character to me. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's just me. Uh I don't know. It 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 ended in a really dark way that I wasn't expecting. It seemed out of t- out out of place with the rest of the episode, but I don't know. What did you think? Um, I think that there are a lot of individual good scenes in this and in the series as a whole i think only a few episodes have really felt cohesive and have uh, been very good uh, i would say my favorite is got to be the fred and ginger episode from a couple weeks back uh, yeah but but i do think With, that what the, happened to chris eigerman yeah i guess he's not on the show anymore um but yeah I, I think one of their bigger problems on the show is it doesn't and this is something that they talked about on the Firewall and Iceberg podcast, too, this past week. But it doesn't feel like this. they had the story for ten episodes. You know, the beginning was really slow. They took too long getting Michelle into the dance studio. They took 
they really took too long getting us to meet the bunheads and getting to know them. And then at the end here, they really fast forwarded. They built, spent so much time, for example, building up Sasha and her rebellion. And then this week it's just done. It's she's back and everything's cool. And she, her hair isn't messed up anymore. And yes. Yeah, and so that felt kind of bungled. And then the, they didn't talk about Hubble. And then they had that lovely scene in the, the Chris Eggman episode, Eggman episode and then nothing and then this week it, he came back in a big way it just seems like they didn't know amy sherman paladino that is didn't know how to properly pace and structure a 10 episode arc mm-hmm. for, for for these characters and so while i think a lot of this episode really worked and i did individually like the scenes when i think to how they fit into the season-long whole it doesn't quite work, and it made this last episode really jarring, I thought. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think the night Bunheads can kind of get away with a lot because it's so much more casual mm-hmm. than most other series, you know, like, in terms of pacing, in terms of the, the vibe of the show, and, you know, the, you know just the, everything is pretty low stakes, and or for the most part, and, you know, it's it's sort of a different kind of hangout comedy from, you know, what we usually think of. It's high art hangout comedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, it it's it's not like if if a more sort of serious, no, not serious, if a more sort of driven um, plot-based show ha- was having these problems, I think it would be really, really serious. Mm-hmm. In the case of Bunhead, it's more just like, that's strange, and hopefully they work that out, but I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. The and like we said at the top, the dance sequences are really, really great, and uh, and and so they, I just think they've they've got enough right, and and, and they've uh, they've given us something that other no other show is really doing. Um, with that to to make this a show that I'm very glad to to have jumped in with and to have caught, um, or to have watched the entire season of. It is a really flawed show, I think, but it's just so fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, it's the sort of show that you feel could become fantastic at some point on, with a certain arc or, a, you know, with a little bit more focus. But for now, it's just, yeah, it's it's good enough for, yeah. for what it is for sure. Um, let's move on to Alphas and Gaslight. This is our, our final episode of our week in TV. Uh, and this is the one you you would have been good to spotlight, Louie. I would have been good to spotlight Alphas. But you didn't like it, and you're shaking your head at me right now. So why don't you uh, dive in first? Tell me what you think or thought of you know, this episode. I, I, I think I know why there's a discrepancy on this episode. I've been thinking about it. Um, I, this was basically Alpha's doing a horror movie episode, uh, pretty much straight up. I mean, this, this is, there's this whole setup with this, you know, base, essentially haunted hospital. I mean, there's other stuff going on, but that's, you know, more or less physically what they're going for. And that aspect of the episode felt totally flat to me, uh, which I which was you know a lot of the episode. Um, the the only aspect of that that I thought worked was I loved this this conceit of Gary finding himself in a horror movie, and tr- and just being kind of coldly rational about the whole thing. <laughs> um, but but you know also you know recognizing like look I've got Anna, and which was it was great to see Leanne Balaban again. Um, and you know she's here, and you know it does. It's not real. It doesn't make any sense. But I like it, so go away. <laughs> like that was that was great. That was easily the best part of the episode to me. But when it came to you know, um, Bill fighting Bill and Hicks chasing after his kid, and 
Rachel and the, all that stuff was just boring me to tears. Like, none of this is going anywhere. And the execution wasn't scary or interesting and super cliched. And the whole haunted hospital thing has been done to death. And the thing with Stanton Parish and the medical equipment wasn't interesting. And I don't know. The Gary stuff was great, but the rest was kind of aimless to me. What did you think of Nina and and Kat? Because I know those are two of your favorite characters and you haven't really talked about them. Um, I, I, I felt like, well, I, I mean... It seems like the only way to go with Nina really is to try to find, get her to do more useful things with her powers. And I think, um, I feel like if I didn't mentally predict the, whole th- the thing with Kat, at least when it came, I thought it was sensible. Um, I mean, we didn't actually spend much time with Kat this week. We just sort of saw that she's beginning to remember things. And um, I feel like that's going to go in interesting directions. We just don't really get to know what yet. Okay. Uh, so, you know prelude to more good goodness later but uh, anyway tell me why i'm wrong and stupid okay so the reason that you're wrong and stupid uh well first of all i'll say that you probably aren't in that probably the reason i liked part of the reason i like this a lot more than you did is that i am not inured to horror movies and the cliches that come with them so when i was watching uh the adam i think the character's name was uh approach the sink i was sitting there thinking you know what's don't don't go don't lean it's so it's going to it's going to grab you it's going to and then it did and but it still was effective it still worked on me that's still you know cuz i haven't seen that a million times i've seen it enough to know exactly what was going to happen but not enough to to be taken out of the scene due to the predictability of that um mm-hmm. so i'm sure that's actually probably part of it but the real reason that you're wrong is that um i when though yes some of these were clichés of of horror and of uh, haunted house, haunted hospital, whatever genres. What this show does once again is it does that idea intelligently and it uses that idea to investigate the characters and to investigate where they are psychologically. And so for, for Bill, he's clearly very afraid of this other part of himself that he doesn't see because at least the last time we saw him at the fight club he sort of blacked out and then just came to really afterwards and so to to see that internal struggle that he maybe isn't even willing to recognize yet i think was nice and and i think particularly with rachel we see that she granted she's a very nice person. That's one of her main traits, but we see that she still clearly cares very much for Nina and, and is trying would wants to help her as much as he can, but also feels like Nina is, is pulling her down. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's enough character examination there to make it really interesting. Uh, also, I really like what we get with Nina this week. And I, I think it's so great to have to get, spin that ability into a way where she can help people. I think is is really key to the character. And so if they can, if if she can use her ability now to not just force her will upon others, but to allow them to reconnect with themselves, I think that it, first of all, is an interesting direction to take the character and is something that I haven't necessarily seen Mm -hmm. with that kind of character before. But I think it opens up all sorts of possibilities with what they can do with that character on the show. Right. Well, I'm glad that we're not getting, honestly, what I thought we were going to have with Nina when she started going off the reservation was like a tug of war between Stanton Parrish and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and Rosen for who is going to get control over. And I was really not looking forward to that. So I'm glad we're not getting it. 
Um, but, you know, one thing I am slightly disappointed about with this season so far, and it, it doesn't seem like there's any going back, is one of the things that was most interesting to me about the first season is was not knowing really if Rosen was good for these people. Oh, I think we got a lot of that this week. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure about that. I, I, I felt a, an extreme degree of ambiguity, especially with um, with, you know, this secret Guantanamo facility that these that the alphas were being sent to where. This season, we see pretty clearly that the that, that facility is, is not working for people, and Rosen doesn't seem to like it very much. So I, it, it feels like we've lost sort of this element of, of darkness a little bit. Every, every scene that we got this week with Rosen and Nina felt very manipulative. He makes it always her choice, but he says just the right thing to get her to decide what he wants her to decide. And I thought that mm -hmm. was very manipulative. Um and but in a in a more sinister kind of way. So maybe they they won't end up going that way. Maybe that's just uh, the actor layering in more uh, nuance to the character into the dialogue. But I thought you know I think the the possibility is still there. Maybe um, I, I it's very clear to me that Rosen, even if he is manipulating her knowingly or otherwise, is doing it for he feels uh, noble pursuits. Um, and I, I, I feel like I don't have the, the, you know, sort of intriguing doubts about him that I had last season, but you know, maybe that, maybe that'll shift. I, I do think those notes are there. I'm just not sure if they're actually going anywhere. So we'll, we'll see. Um, okay. it's, it's still a, a really interesting show. I just thought for, for me, this, this, it was an ambitious episode in terms of execution that didn't really work for me. The, the last thing I will mention is I loved that we had Spider-Man this week and then they killed him. And I think it would be great if <laughs> if every time they introduced a new alpha of the week, it was somebody who mirrored one of the, the X-Men or one of the big Marvel or DC superheroes, and then and they die. They die. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be... Uh, you know what'll be great is if alphas is still on the air when this Avengers TV show comes around. Uh-huh. And it, they'll be great to have as a sort of a point-for-point -point comparison, because, uh, you know what's great about alphas is the freedom that they have to just do whatever the hell they want because these characters aren't licensed to anything. They're not tied to some, you know, seven movie deal. They're original characters, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote. So, um, it'll, it'll, it should be interesting to see, um, to sort of contrast those approaches if that's even a possibility. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our, uh, our week in TV for this week. Let's uh, hit a few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find us upstreaming at soundonsite.org where there will be a post. You can leave us comments there. We would love to hear from you. What should our question be? Our question. Um... Who's right? Which would have been a better spotlight, Louis or Alphas? How about that? Yeah. Or 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 should we have spotlit of shame the newsroom as I would have liked to have done? Yeah, wasn't that bad? But yeah, let us know. Let us know what you think <laughs> on the, uh, the the divisive nature of this uh, this week's episode. Um, totally. You, you can also find us upstreaming at Current, and we are in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can talk to us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are. At Sucker Howell, although be warned, for the next month it's going to be Tiff, Tiff, all Tiff, 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 Tiff. Uh, and also, of course, feel free to contact us on, with email, theteleverse at gmail.com. 
And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you this week. So let's take a quick break, listen to a little music, and we're going to come back with uh, Dapayan Sengupta to talk the Chicago Code. When Teresa Colvin was my partner, she said in 10 years she'd be the city's first female superintendent. It only took her eight. Wasaki, I'm looking for you. Welcome to my littering case. Littering case? How is this not a murder? It's a misdemeanor murder we already solved from four days ago. Esteban Fierro gang hit in that salsa club. Don't call it a misdemeanor murder. Oh, a gangbanger kill another gangbanger. You didn't mind so much when you rode with me. I'm not a beat copper anymore. So is this a social call or what? Got a job proposition for you. I'm not interested. I've heard about your recent reassignments. Come on, those are lazy and incompetent cops. You neither. No, but there's a right way to do things. This from the guy who dumps his partner every two or three days? Still holding a grudge, huh? What do you know about Fergus Construction? Big city contracts, a lot of money. Well, guess who owns Fergus? Not officially, not on paper, but really. Gibbons. Alderman Ronan Gibbons. You're as sharp as ever. There's the compliment. Here comes the slap. There are two fresh bodies lying in Grand Park. And do you think these have something to do with Alderman Gibbons? No, 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 no. Count me out. Just take a ride. Make sure the investigation is going smoothly. All right, as a favor, I will take a look. Great, I'll come with. Detective Caleb Evers. My lieutenant just assigned me to ride with you. Cubs or socks? White socks. Nice try, Jerry. Look at the car. Sure, where is it? You're the detective. Back with the Televerse, this is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome Depayans and Gupta from Sound On Sight, new contributor to Sound On Sight-ish, I guess new-ish, uh, to help us talk about The Chicago Code, which is Sean Ryan's third series. And uh, as one might be able to infer based on his title, one that I enjoy, because it's set in Chicago, and I'm that predictable. Uh, Depay, and welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for picking uh, Chicago Code. Oh, you're welcome. It's uh, it, it was it was really not much of a, you know, I didn't really have to think about it. The minute you talked about a show that's, uh, you know, no longer on the air, the Chicago Code was the first one that came to mind, because it's really a show that I think deserved a larger audience, and... It's it's really an enduring shame that it didn't get that. And even though Sean Ryan tried to sugarcoat it on uh, on Twitter following the show's cancellation about how we should be glad we got it and we should think of it like a miniseries, but you know the fact remains this is a you know this was one of Sean Ryan's two criminally underseen shows. The other one being, of course, um, Terriers, which which also had a short-lived season just I think the year before. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I find most interesting, perhaps, about um, the Chicago Code and Terriers as two different uh, shows by Sean Ryan is that, and, and maybe this just shows his uh, his skill as a as a showrunner that both of them end so well, given that they must not have realized they were going to be canceled until later. You know, they, I know for the Chicago Code it was up in the air down to the day. A lot of people thought that Fox would either save Chicago Code or Human Target, and they ended up canceling both of them. So it uh, it was a surprise to the people watching the bubble lists at the time. So 
the fact that Ryan manages to end the show as conclusively as he does, I think, uh, it, may, it proves that Terriers wasn't a fluke in that manner. It, it's worth clarifying, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chicago Code is only the second series that he actually created, uh, The Shield being the first. He, uh, Tim Griffin created Terriers. Uh, he was the executive producer on it. That's true. Of course, he, he also executive produced a season of Lie to Me. And a whole bunch of other stuff. He's been all over the place. Obviously, he was on a season of Angel as well. He's had a, one of the most versatile sort of showrunner slash executive producer resumes around. Yeah. Well, and uh, I we haven't asked you yet, Simon. What do you think of the Chicago Code? Um, you know, it's funny. When the show first aired, I was really excited to see another Sean Ryan cop show because I, I absolutely love The Shield. And which, by the way, we will discuss on a future shelf. It will be epic, I promise you. But um, uh, and I remember watching the pilot for Chicago Code. And despite the there were some clever touches, which I'm sure we'll we'll get get onto. I really couldn't get over just how much glossier it was than The Shield. I could I couldn't help but a compare it to The Shield and b notice how it suffered in certain ways by comparison. Uh, having the opportunity to rewatch it, actually to watch it properly, um, I still, I think it falls well short of the benchmarks set by the shield. And part of that is because of the sort of, you know, the, 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 the broadcast network vibe that it has, which is still very different from most cop shows, but is still not as distinctive to me as the shield. That being said, um, what I find interesting about the Chicago code in terms of looking at it as a Sean Ryan show is, is it's amazing to me that he managed to make two ostensibly similar shows. You know, they're both, they're both about cops and uh, corrupt political, uh, political culture and, um, and gang culture and things like that. And they're so very different uh, just in terms of tone, the, the cast, the format um, it's even just the, the, the shooting style, the aesthetics they're, they, they're night and day. And even though Chicago Code doesn't work to me a fifth as well as The Shield did, I think it's got a lot of issues. Um, I, I still very much enjoyed watching it, and um, I'm glad I gave it a second chance. Yeah, I also enjoyed it more the second time than the first time around. I, I enjoyed the show when I first watched it, um, but it was one of those that, given everything that was going on at, in for in my life at the time, which is nothing particularly tumultuous, but, you know, life happens, uh, I, I got away from it, so I saw I, I was DVRing it. I was watching it uh, regularly, but around episode eight or nine, I just you know lost track of it and never actually saw how it ended. So I was very happy and pleasantly surprised to be able to go back and and see how it the show ended and I you know find that it ended well. Um, for me, I mean, first of all, to be a fifth, the show that the Shield is is still pretty good because the Shield is one of the best television shows ever made. Um, but I actually, for me, I I really like the look of The Chicago Code. And it was one of the things that I was kind of frustrated about at the time when, it, when I first saw it. And then also now look, looking back at some of the reviews that were going on at the time, uh, one of the complaints people had is that it doesn't look like The Shield it's not gritty. It's it has high production values. It looks really. It looks really slick, but this this show isn't the shield. It shouldn't have the shield's aesthetic. And so, laying a, a claim against the show as a negative thing that it it looks too good seems kind of strange to me. 
Yeah, I feel like in that sense, Sean Ryan was stuck in a lose-lose situation. I mean, the way he created the Chicago Code, people complained that it didn't look like the Shield. But if he had made something that was basically the Shield only set in Chicago instead of L.A., people would have said, well, he's basically made the Shield for network television at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I have to confess to being one of those people who was annoyed about the look, and it wasn't fair, but it was accurate. Um, yes. And <laughs> it looks good. It, it looks Fy good. you, Sean Ryan. But, you know, it's not only that the show looks good. It's that, you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the cast of The Shield is a, is a real rough and tumble lot. They don't really look like the average television actors. They look, you know, sort of more like people you see every day. I, you know, it's it's pretty clear when you meet the cast of, of uh, The Chicago Code that you're you're there are exceptions, obviously, but you're going with a more telegenic lot. They're very pretty, yes. They feel less lived in than uh, than the cat, and I think that I think that more than the look of the show was what uh, turned me off the first time, and I, and I and I, it's still a minor issue for me, but um, but uh, that that's what I recall being the issue the first time around. Well, I mean, he worked around that a lot, right? I mean, by making them mostly rookies. I mean, considering Caleb Evers and Vonda Waisaki, they were both rookies, and so it would make sense that they were more sort of clean scrub than most of the people we met at um, at Farmington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because, I mean, most of the people we met there um, in in the Shield were sort of veterans of the industry. They'd, they'd been cops for a long time. Comparatively, a lot of the people we met in the Chicago Code were, you know, more more fresh into uh, policing. So I think he sort of went around the telegenic nature of it that way. But then again, that could just be me sort of, you know, cleaning up something that, it, I, I can see how that would be a concern. Well, because, yeah, I would agree with you when it comes to uh, Vonda. She is supposed to be, you know, pretty much a rookie. She, you know, she would, uh, she's, you know, standing guard duty outside of busts and stuff and writing parking tickets and things like that. Um, but that being said, uh, she she still looks really pretty <laughs> for 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 a, a cop, and that's not to say any that cops can't be ridiculously gorgeous. Because my, my aunt is a cop, and I've met some of the people she works with, and there's some damn fine looking people on the Madison uh, PD. I gotta say, but that doesn't change the fact that she looks a little too uh, easy to break. You know, she doesn't look like yeah. she'd do that well in a fist fight. And when you add on to that, uh, Jennifer Beals. You know the notion notion that she would have she you know have this has a similar uh, appearance and bone structure and she's very slight. They're both small women. When when you know you have your two main female cops, both look you know that same have that same sort of body shape and outline and all of that stuff. Then it kind of feels a little unbalanced. Yeah, well, especially you know, and again, you know, I can't help but beat beat the show up with the shield button but i i have to when you when your next comparison is you know glenn close and Catherine dent you know that's a pretty huge discrepancy well i, I think there have been other shows that have have done that well i remember liking the casting on i think it was um third watch um or there there have been a couple of their even network uh cop procedurals that have had uh, a more realistic, you know, ca- casting. And this is something that I remember looking at with, um, I did an article examining the network TV schedule last season and how it pertained to the Bechdel test. Um, and so looking at the, the cop shows, so I watched one episode of every show and there were 
very few people on any network television that were female and uh, weren't wearing heels to crime scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas with the guys, it was much more balanced. It was it was much a much wider array of of not as many people. of them were wearing heels. Not as many of them were wearing heels, or just shall we say, designer shoes and etc. Um, and that's something that's also true in this. The the male cops are for the most part much more diverse than the female cops on the show. But I would like to move on though to talk about the cast a little bit um, because. I, I think it's a really strong cast. Of course, we've talked about Friday Night Lights before, um, Simon. Uh, it was before we started the Televerse, but we did do an episode on it. And so yes. Matt Loria, of course, was in that, and he's in this. And I'm familiar with some of the other cast, but I was pleasantly surprised by Jason Clark f- further uh, cementing that I really need to watch Brotherhood. And yeah. and then also, I know every... Oh, and then Delroy Lindo is fantastic, of course. But I know everybody else seems to have had a problem with Jennifer Beals, but I thought she was really good on this show. And I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah, I have a problem with Jennifer Beals. Um, <laughs> I, it, I, it, it's, it's actually not entirely her fault. Um, I think, first of all, I think her... Honestly, I, I, I find um, her commissioner a little bit dull. I mean, I, I just... I find her, honestly, by the time the season is over, they sort of finally make her a little bit interesting to me just by demonstrating how much she sacrificed to her job. And mm-hmm. that was an interesting character beat for her. But that was honestly her first interesting character beat to me because other than that, she's just so she's so in the right all the time and never seems to make bad calls, or at least not destructive ones. And I don't know, I, I wanted a little bit more gray with her. And that's and it's not helped by the fact that, yes, I mean, the, they make a big deal on the show about how, yes, she's a, she's a female boss and she's young and, and attractive and all this stuff. And it, it's a point in the show. And I feel like it's the it's the writing's job and the actress's job to make it clear why she has the job and, and, and to make it clear that she is this really compelling figure. And I... I think between the casting and the writing, I think that just sort of fell flat to me. I don't know. I didn't have a problem quite with her, um, with her Teresa Colvin. It's, it felt like the character, you know, despite being obviously very gorgeous, had a sort of hard edge to her that you'd need to see in a, in a, in a career cop. And, uh, you know, especially in, in how, in how she dealt with her brother-in-law, how she dealt with uh, Antonio's death. I thought, I thought it showed a level of like, character believability that I can understand why she got the job. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of that was to do with Beals. Beals for me really sold the part better than I could have expected, uh, her to, her, uh, her to be able to do it. Well, I think, uh, Sam, you're absolutely right in that the character is comparatively with the other characters is more bland. She doesn't have as many facets. She's not having the, uh, destructive uh, affair with the ex-wife while engaged to somebody else. Uh, but I don't, I, I think they do a good job for all of making the point that she is squeaky clean. That's how she's chosen to live her life. But I think, uh, so, so I do agree that there's some problem in the writing there, but as for Beale's performance, I think she does a good job of selling the will and the determination of the character. And I feel like that's the, the strongest character trait we get or the only really the only main character trait we get for the character at all and so maybe a different actor could have elevated the writing even more 
But I think she does a good job with what she's given. I think this is one of the things that we would have seen more development if there had been a second season. Because yeah. it felt like the first season really worked on developing Ronan Gibbons more than, uh, you know, Ronan Gibbons and maybe Jarek to an extent. But, uh, you know, Ronan Gibbons was the character I thought was fleshed out the most. And I'm I'm pretty sure if we would have gotten a second season, we would have seen more development on, on Teresa Colvin's side. I, yeah, I, absolutely. Because you can't start a... If, if your show's going to be about the good guys taking down the bad guys and maybe then what toll that takes, then if you can't, you can't have your characters becoming corrupted in the first season if you're planning for any kind of a net, network run of the standard being, what, five seasons or something. So I think to go too much quicker in that direction would have been a mistake. That being said, when the writing was on the wall that there was only so many episodes left that they're going to get maybe that was the time i don't know i'm curious what you guys think about that well i, I don't know I, I think it and and terriers have a very similar feel to their endings they both have 13 episode seasons and they both end in a way that is both satisfying as an ending and um uh, while also you know leaping a way forward I don't really know that, it, 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 that if in the space of 13 episodes, they really had time to develop. Ever. I, I think it was a good idea to focus on, on uh, the Alderman and mm-hmm. uh, and to really flesh him out, which they do uh, spectacular, spectacularly well. And Delroy Lindo is a big part of that. Um, but also the the narration, which I for me, uh, maybe that's another thing we can discuss. Mm-hmm. The narration for me is about 50-50. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, some of it is really effective, especially the, it, actually almost all the Alderman's narration is good. Um, but some of the other stuff is a, a little on the useless side. I'm, I, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't disagree with that. It's, but then again, I mean, sort of narration for me is it tends to be hit and miss in general. It's, I'm, I'm not really a fan of that idea in the first place. I'd rather they show me, not tell me. Yeah. I feel like they got too married to that as a, as a structure and and started using it in places where they didn't need it. I, mean, I think it became more successful when they started using it to to relate history of the city, which is uh, something that Colvin started doing. And I started noticing in the, some of the later episodes, they stopped giving backstory about the characters and said switch to backstory on the city, which transitions us to it's set in Chicago. And the, I don't, care so much that it's set in Chicago. There are a lot of shows set in Chicago, but they shot it in Chicago. So it actually looks like Chicago and it yes. looks gorgeous. I love it. Yeah. The, the the one thing that this show does definitely share with the shield is uh, besides uh, attention to detail, which there's a lot of, especially as you mentioned in the historicity aspect um, is there's fantastic chase sequences and they're not as uh, quite as frequent as they are in the shield, but there's, they average almost one per episode and they're almost always fantastic. Yeah. I, I, having become more familiar with downtown Chicago in the past couple of years, it was great. Also, obviously they're shot well and they're planned out well, but it was just, it gave the, the show authenticity that shares with the shield and it made it feel like a definite place and, uh, and, and setting. And it, it really gave this show the tone and the, the, I mean, cause the, this show wouldn't work in a different city. It gave it the specificity that it needed. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and actually, and not just because of the setting, but, um, I, 
because of that specificity and um, that attention to detail, I, I can't help but think that if it had gotten a second season, everyone would think, of, or a third, etc., everyone would think of the Chicago Code as the good wife of cop shows. Yeah, possibly. I, I agree with the chases. Uh, there's a there's a car chase in episode eight that I think is the most cinematic car chase I've ever seen in a TV show. It's the best looking one, definitely. And uh, I'm in general agreement with the chases. I guess that that's that just about sums it up. <laughs> well, yeah, because I remember watching the pilot, and there's that great sequence, you know, and with the two cop cars next to each other, and you're shouting out the window at each other. Um, and uh, and I remember enjoying that in the pilot, but then just assuming we weren't going to get anything like that in the actual show when they had to go to not pilot budget. Um, so that was, that was a pleasant surprise for me. And then to go along with the, uh, the historical narration every now and again, and the location shooting, I love the specificity of the references of the, the Sox and Cubs rivalry between our two lead detectives and some of the other, um, mentions that really give it a, the characters, a lived in feel. And part of that is even just the naming of the characters, Jarek and Vonda Waisaki. That's not a name mm-hmm. you're going to hear on any other show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a generic, it's not really a generic name. It's, it's a very specific name. You say Jarek Waisaki, there is no way you're going to think which show is that from. You're going to know it's from the Chicago Code or you're not going to know it's from a show at all. Yeah. We, we had the unusuals on ABC and that ran for one season. It was canceled. And then sort of a year later, Jeremy Renner, broke out and became an A-list star. Do you figure we're going to see the same thing for Jason Clark? I think if he was going to break out and become an A-list star, it would have happened a while ago. He's been turning in good work for a long time and hasn't quite broken through. I would be, I would love to be surprised um, and be wrong on that, but uh, I don't know. I don't necessarily predict it. I don't know. What do you think, Simon? I feel, oh God, I, okay, I'm going to sound like a dick, but I feel like he's a bit too weird looking, you know? He's just, he's <laughs> not quite Hollywood- I mean, I, I feel like Jeremy Renner's just on that right line of looking distinctive and human, but while also being, I guess, conventionally handsome. Whereas Clark is, he's obviously a great actor. He's fantastic in this. I, I also need to see Brotherhood, but I think he's just, his, he's got too much forehead in him. You know, I, I I can't really disagree with that. He's he's also got like the, the fro going for him. Well, And I also, if we're going to talk about the photogenic uncast that we expect to break out, I want to see Matt Loria in more stuff because I really enjoyed him in this. I remember watching the pilot and, you know, feeling like uh, our uh, our Friday Night Lights alum here was uh, all grown up a little bit, and it's totally. I, I think he does a good job with the with the role. And as much as when I was watching the pilot, I felt like, oh well, what if he just graduated and decided to become a cop and completely change his accent? You know, it'd be the same character. But I think they did a good job of act. He did a good job of getting me to really like the character. It took me a couple episodes to get accustomed to him just because I'd seen him in, you know, 700 episodes of Friday Night Lights. Um, <laughs> I think that's how many it was. And uh, it, it took it took me a couple episodes for, he, for him to emerge as a distinct entity. But he he is really really good, and uh, his, his obviously all of his material with Clark is great. I would have loved to have had a whole other season of them just bickering at each other and picking at each other's nerves, but sadly it was not to be. Yeah. Well, do you guys have a favorite episode you want to mention? Yeah, for me it was it was the episode where they went to Chinatown. For some reason, that one really uh, really resonated with me. Um, it was called O'Leary's Cow. It was the fifth episode. Uh, for me, I think that would be my favorite episode, but. It's sort of a close race between all of them. They they were all really good, and my favorite scene is still sort of that that last that last two scenes with uh, you know first you've got uh, Teresa Colvin 
uh, pretending to be an out-of-town uh, businesswoman at the bar, and then you've got sort of Ronan Givens, you know, arrested and sitting in jail, and he's still the very picture of grace. He's still being nice to the guard, and he's being courteous. I was very much expecting, a, if there was a second season in watching this finale, I was very much predicting a uh, Veronica Mars-style resolution to that uh, where they yeah. keep him on the show because uh, to no spo- Veronica Mars spoilers um, but the first season deals with finding a, or proving a case and the second season deals with the trial and so I figured it would have been a fun second season watching Colvin grow watching this partnership between Wysocki and uh, and uh, oh what's Matt, what's Matt Laurie's character Caleb Evers Caleb Evers uh, grow and then watching you know Givens in his natural habitat playing the press in the courtroom uh, to its maximum advantage. Um, for me, I would mention I really enjoyed Wild Onions, which is the episode with the the heat wave. Yes. Because uh, we had one of those this summer in Chicago. It was very hot for quite a long time. And I thought they did a great job of, of capturing capturing that, uh, how just how hot and muggy and terrible feeling Chicago can get. And then I would also uh, say the the last stretch, I think they did a really good job of building up in the last few episodes the momentum to to really resolve a lot of the season-long issues. Um, in, in, on the subject of the Wild Onions episode, I think the thing that that episode captures really, really well to me that I wasn't really expecting is, um, you know, in the relationship between Vonda and, and Isaac, um, it's just icky mm-hmm. it's just there's something weird about it like, like like you're watching siblings get it on or something it just it feels <laughs> wrong and they communicate that very subtly and very well and then of course at the end of the season they're still together so whoops <laughs> no I was, I was actually very impressed by the fact that they that they sort of put well, Vonda and Isaac together um, and I agree with you it, it sort of feels a little icky it feels a little uh, it feels a little off maybe but I would imagine that in a conventional show they would have had uh, Vonda and Caleb hook up and that would have been something that would have been going on behind Jarek's back and it would have been a very cumbersome, uh, you know, hidden romantic affair. And so I'm glad they, right. they didn't go down that path. And not only did they have Vonda and Isaac sort of get together, but then they had Jarek find out within, I think, the very next episode. No, that was a few episodes later. That was towards yeah. the finale. They stretched it a bit, but it, it did. It comes up and they, they treat it. Uh, surprisingly well. I remember another uh, moment like that where I was surprised also dealing with Caleb. Um, we're introduced to this nurse in one of the episodes and you think she's going to be a recurring character. Um, she has really good banter with the cast and then Caleb asks her out and at the end of the episode she says, you guys get shot too much. I don't date cops. Sorry, I really like you but I don't date cops. Um, and that felt, it felt realistic and I like that the show actually handled you know, did showed some of that, and a similar thing is I also liked how they handled the the Dina and I want to say Elena love triangle ish sort of thing. I like that they resolved that. Yeah. Uh, well, as long as we're talking about uh, non recurring roles, things I would have liked to have seen more of. I love Kathy Ryan's appearance as that horrible lawyer. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's so good, and it's it's weird because nor- she always she really only pops up in Sean Ryan projects, and occasionally, very very rarely, will make a small appearance somewhere else. And you'd think that'd be nepotism, and she'd be all aw- and she'd be awful. But I always love her, and I wish she'd get more work. Uh, good wife, uh, well, she she, justified as well. She, yeah, she made one mm-hmm. appearance on Justified. I don't remember her being on Good Wife. No, I mean she should be on Good Wife. Yes, she would be great on on the Good Wife. <laughs> but she's just um, like reprise that same character on Good Wife. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, that worked for me. <laughs> complete with her brags about her uh, her security system. But um, I think for for me, easily my favorite episode was the penultimate episode, Grey Lord and mm-hmm. Gambit, which um, to me is the sort of turn of the screw episode. I would have liked to have had a couple more times than we got, where you know everything really comes to a head and the sort of undercover cop plot line, which we haven't even mentioned. Um, Mm-hmm. To me, it kind of drags its heels a little bit from time to time, and um, I also have some issues with Billy Lush. Um, just doesn't seem convincing enough to me. Uh, not like he's he would be great as a skittish undercover cop who has a hard time, but as a guy who's fooling a whole bunch of people, he's I have trouble with that. Um, but that episode deals with his uh, arc. Uh, very nicely and uh, with a lot of tension and just the, that episode is just fantastically tense uh, in a way that I, I it would have been nice if the show got to that sort of fever pitch a little more often but I realized that they were trying to do something a little different yeah that was perhaps the most um, predictable and uh, been done sort of storyline there weren't really any beats in it that surprised until the very end maybe a couple couple of moments with yeah. his storyline surprise but i think it's actually one of the the less interesting uh storylines in that it is pretty much what you expect it's going to be yeah uh but yeah i think the resolution is quite nice and yeah. um and in, in general the resolutions are nice except i do find the um box of old evidence thing a little bit too neat yeah, I was expecting that to come up in season two, but alas. Yeah. Now, do you guys have any uh, final thoughts on Chicago Code? Um, I think just to sort of revisit that that undercover cop storyline. I think the I think Liam's best scenes were sort of with Ronan, and I think uh, yeah. in in that sense that that storyline served its purpose for me. Just because we got a better look at at Ronan Gibbons, not only his evil side but also his his genuinely benevolent side. That I never really got the sense that Gibbons was was like a bad person. He was just someone who looked out for his own interests first. But once once he felt he was taken care of, he never really, uh, you know, wished ill on people. And I think that that was, it, it was great to see a character of that nature on the show and uh, just on TV in general. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, that, that that's the highlight of the Chicago Code. I think we're all in agreement that a second season uh, was, was warranted, warts and all. Yeah, I'll be, I'm very curious to see how Sean Ryan's next network gig pans out um i just hope he i just want him to get one well i mean last, last resort oh yes that's right it's uh, coming this fall. fall yes yeah. with andre brower yeah i'm, I'm pretty <laughs> damn excited about that um I'm, I'm, yeah i'm really interested because it also sounds like a very unique premise uh based on what i've heard about about a, a nuclear uh, enabled submarine that goes to a country and declares itself like the world's smallest uh nuclear powered country or yeah, that's uh, that's the trouble I'm having with it. The premise sounds terrible to me. <laughs> Why? Okay, this is a debate for another time, but that yes, premise sounds right. awesome to me. I look forward to discussing it on the Televerse when it premieres. All right. But yes, uh, Sean Ryan had a rough go with this and uh, and Terriers, and I mean I, I think Terriers is a is a far more consistent show to me and more consistently entertaining and original. But uh, this definitely deserved a second shot as well. Well, and if we're going to talk about Sean Ryan's uh, unfortunate track record uh, with with viewers and with with renewals, we should also mention Tim Minear, who was oh, I believe yeah, he was yeah. the showrunner on this. He was one of the executive producers, and every show he's done that I've seen, 
I've really, really liked, except for maybe American Horror Story, because I didn't watch more of that, but every other one that he's done that I've seen, I've very much enjoyed. Let's get a Tim Minear show on the air, either created or or showrun, whatever, because he puts out good product. I I think I'm one of, like, Three people in the whole world who was aware of Drive when it was actually airing. I love Drive. It was Drive well, was great. I really liked it. Yeah, I, I saw a couple them. episodes. It was all right. I, really I good it, cast. I think it only had a couple of episodes. Yeah, four episodes. There you go. That's one I would love to see out on DVD. And speaking of, this is not out on DVD. You can watch it. Uh, you can buy the buy it on Amazon Video, like the download. You know, I, I'm not sure if it's on on Netflix, uh, but you can't buy a hard a legit hard copy yet you can buy the dvd box set some places online but it's you know not legit oh <laughs> last thing i quickly want to mention since we're on the subject of canceled sean ryan things mm-hmm. uh he recently mentioned that he's thinking of starting a kickstarter to fund a terriers movie since the cast yes. is all mysteriously still not yeah. in stuff which mm-hmm. seems criminal to why me. is michael raymond james not a recurring character on the walking dead they brought him on he was the best part of season two yeah, and then i can shot. think of a yeah i can think of a good reason but let's uh let's not spoil yeah <laughs> uh why is donald Logue not everywhere i have no idea but yeah. uh they're not so again go, for go another follow, time <laughs> go follow sean ryan retweet him and maybe someday we'll get a terriers movie yeah not to mention poor laura allen got another show canceled oh yeah um, so I guess uh, for four or five minutes after I was supposed to say my last thought, I just remembered Adam Arkin is great on this. I really enjoy yes. him. And I also really like the use of music on this show as well. I think it gives it a, a really nice identity. I like it's good music. The scoring is good. And the uh, the, the soundtrack picks, I think, are a lot of fun. So those are my final thoughts. If you haven't seen the Chicago Code, hunt it out. Go to the Amazon downloady video section and check it out and uh give it a shot if you like mm-hmm. cop shows if it, it's it's worth mentioning that at least half the music selections are the smashing pumpkins which makes sense for a chicago series mm-hmm. and i believe billy corgan also wrote the theme song actually he sings it but robert duncan wrote it he also did the terriers theme which was very memorable yeah and uh worked on some other stuff as well very versatile dude okay Final thoughts? Anything else? That's or... it. That's my actual final thought. That's your actual final thought? Defying any other final last thoughts? Uh, no, no. Uh, I've expressed my adoration for the show. I, I think I'm good. Okay. Well, then, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, well, you can find me at soundonsite.org. Uh, my Twitter is Dean Epay, D-E-A-N-E-P-A-Y. Follow me there for random things that I think are funny but are not actually. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, would you tell our listeners which shows you are reviewing for us over at Sound on Sight? Uh, yes, I'm reviewing The Newsroom. I am one of five people in the world who actually likes the show. <laughs> and uh, I'm also reviewing MTV's Awkward. Good times. We, we, we'll we have to continue this conversation off mic because Simon and I have an entertaining relationship with both those shows. Uh, but uh, thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 